Hi, I'm Corey Chonsky, and welcome to my podcast, One House at a Time. As a former Naval officer, I'm proud and feel lucky that I was mentored to think about my post-military career and invest in real estate. That decision has helped me to create a level of security and wealth I didn't realize was possible. My mission is to help both those in and out of the military do the same. Each week, I will coach those in need around how to build wealth, as well as to interview some of the most successful folks and how they built their own financial freedom. Welcome to One House at a Time. Hey everyone, welcome to another One House at a Time podcast episode. Got Daryl Stickle here, who's a expert when it comes to trust. Uh, Daryl is an executive coach with over 20 years of experience focused on trust. His PhD in building trust in hostile environments from Duke University helped establish his unique and practical approach. He works as he worked as a consultant with McKinsey and Company and has taught his method at universities and in boardrooms around the world. He continues to advise as a coach and C-suite executives and delivers trust workshops to small and large audiences. So welcome to the show, Daryl. Thanks for having me, Corey. It's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, before the show, we kind of talked about the, the target target audience here is usually, you know, folks in their probably mid to 30s who are looking to build their own real estate portfolio. Uh, most of them probably starting from scratch. And some folks are like, well, why do I need to listen to a trust expert? And, you know, kind of as what we, you know, what we're going to touch on is there's a lot of trust that needs to be developed from the very start, whether that's with your family or as you start to kind of build your real estate team. So um, what are some of kind of the approaches that you, you take with, because you've worked with people from families all the way to helping to develop trust amongst the U.S. military and uh, foreign nationals in various countries. Yeah, so I, for me, trust is a social lubricant, right, that allows things to move more smoothly. A lot of research tells us that it leads to higher returns to shareholders, it, higher engagement. It just makes life easier. And so, you know, if I think about your audience, I think about who are the key stakeholders, right? There's, there's maybe people who are going to be investing in their endeavor, uh, there's people that they're going to start hiring and, and working with. There's whoever they define as their clients, right? If, if that's uh, property managers or if it's actual people renting the, the units that they're or purchasing from them, you know, in, in a real estate setting. Mm -hmm. um, and you're right, you got to get the family on side because nothing ever starts as a huge success, right? <laughs> it, it takes time and energy and We've got to invest and, and believe that we're going to have a long-term positive outcome. I believe that the better we get at building trust, the more likely that positive outcome becomes. So how, how is it from those different uh, perspectives in which you've worked with people, how is how are the approaches different? So I'm assuming that things would be different working with a family as opposed to you know, working with the military to establish trust, trust with locals in a in a you know, foreign country. Yeah, so a lot of times the levers are the same. It's just which ones are most important, right? And so for me, trust is a willingness to be vulnerable when you can't completely predict how someone else is going to behave. And the way that shows up for a foreign national is do they tell you what's really going on? Do they reveal information about potential insurgents or people who want to cause trouble? Um, are they honest with you? And 
that's a different experience than, you know, is somebody going to rent from you or is somebody going to work with you to manage rental properties? Um, because it's the stakes aren't as high. They don't feel as vulnerable. And so for me, we look at this definition, you know, vulnerability in the face of uncertainty. There's two elements there. You know, we, when people decide whether to trust someone, they ask themselves two fundamental questions. The first is, how likely am I to be harmed? Which is perceived uncertainty. And the second question is, if I'm harmed, how bad is it going to hurt? Which is perceived vulnerability. And those things multiply together to give us a level of perceived risk. And so we each have a threshold of risk that we're comfortable with. And if we go beyond that threshold, we don't trust. If we're beneath it, then we do. And so for us, building trust comes down to where does uncertainty come from and how do I take steps to reduce it? Where does vulnerability come from and how do I take steps to help people manage that? And so early in relationships, we tend to have very high levels of uncertainty, which means we can only tolerate small ranges of vulnerability. And as those relationships get deeper, the uncertainty starts to compress and the range of vulnerability we can tolerate starts to grow. And in our deepest relationships, we've got a really tight band of uncertainty and a huge range of vulnerability we can tolerate. And so what tends to be different in those environments is, you know, if, if we're dealing with people who are from the same neighborhood, the same area as us, we speak the same language, we've already got a head start on uncertainty, right? It's, it's not as extreme. And so that means we can tolerate more vulnerability initially. Some of those other settings where we're coming in from another country, we, we play by different rules, we have different norms and values, we may speak different languages, so there can be things lost in translation. The uncertainty is much higher, which means that the vulnerability we can tolerate early on is very small. So in a, in a situation, uh, there's a couple things that you said there that, you know, so I'll have a follow-up question. So let's say you're in a situation where, you know, you're, you're beginning your brand new real estate investor, you, you already have trust established, say with your family. However, right. the, the trust isn't necessarily related to this new venture. So how does that dynamic work where there's trust already, but you're, you're taking on a new adventure where maybe you don't have a lot of experience. Maybe, maybe you've gotten some coaching or you've read books and podcasts, but that, that doesn't quite, you know, relate as much to this new venture. How, how does that yeah. trust correlate into that new situation? So this, that's a great question, Corey. And basically what you're talking about is we've been going along and things are fine and we get along great, but now you want to try something different. <clears throat> and it causes a bump in uncertainty. And so if we start to think, where does uncertainty come from? It comes from us as individuals and it comes from the context we're embedded in. And I think of the context as the rules of the game. All of a sudden, you're shifting the context. You're going from, look, I have a salary and a career, and it's stable, and it's easy to predict. And, uh, you know, we, we know I'm good at what I do, or good enough at what I do, or maybe I'm exceptional at what I do. But now I want to transition into something else. Okay, the context has changed. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it causes a new set of questions to arise. And I think of it in terms of levers that we can pull. So if we start explaining how the new situation is going to work, 
right? I'm going to go into real estate. Here's what the rules are. Here's how it works. Here's what I'm constrained by. Here's what reasonable expectations are in terms of, you know, average income early on. Um, <clears throat> and, and we start to reduce that uncertainty for folks by explaining what the new context is because it helps them better predict, you know, you're going to see me dressing differently, acting differently, having conversations with different people. I'm going to be meeting and greeting with new folks. I'm going to have to socialize differently. This is what that's going to look like. So the more we can predict our behavior, the easier it is for people to make that transition. Now, if we think about the individual levers, you know, I said tr uncertainty comes from us as individuals and the context we're embedded in. For us as individuals, there's three levers that most people talk about. There's benevolence, integrity, and ability. And benevolence is that belief you've got my best interest at heart, that you're gonna act in my best interest. And that probably doesn't shift when you change careers, right? Your family still has that expectation or that experience of you. Integrity is, do I follow through on my promises and do my actions line up with the values that I express? Well, there may be a bit of fluctuation here because you're gonna be engaging in a new set of activities, a new set of uh, work-related tasks, you're going to have new relationships that you're developing. And so we're going to have to update and tell people how this lines up with the values that we have, right? And so if your value is providing for your family or having a positive impact in the community, you're going to have to be able to tell stories to link back your actions to those efforts that you're making. Ability is the one, it tends to be our favorite lever to pull, but it's often massively underdefined. And so in your situation, you know, I'm a leader in the military. We know what that looks like, and we have a sense of what good looks like, but we don't really know what good looks like as you transition into the real estate market. And so we have to get a sense from other people who are in that industry and the different stakeholders about what does good really look like and start to share that definition more broadly with folks so that we start to reduce their uncertainty about when I do this, when I go for lunch with someone, you know, it's it's not just social, it's it's part of the process of developing a relationship that's going to allow me to be successful. Um, I have to make the following types of commitments to people now. Um, I don't have the ability to just tell people to jump and they say how high. I have to influence them in different ways. Here's what that looks like. Here's what good looks like. And so if we're making a transition from, you know, a stable position to one that's more self-employed, one that's that's got more variance in it, we have to explain how we're going to handle that transition and figure out what good looks like all over again. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously communication plays a huge role in this in terms of, I mean, thankfully a lot of times when you're starting in real estate, it's not that drastic of a shift where you're going from employed to unemployed doing real estate as an investor. So like yeah. myself, you know, I, I started my, our first rental was back in 2012 when we converted the house we were living in into, you know, in turn into a rental. I didn't re I, I didn't leave the military till 2021. I mean, so there was a long time, which I'm sure plays into the ability uh, lever that you mentioned that you can yeah. show over time like hey this is how the portfolio is performing and you can slowly have that discussion as opposed to just 
you know, one day, like, boom, I'm in a new career. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little more shocking for folks. And we see that sometimes with professional athletes who hang on too long, right? There's a lot of people invested in them being who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that identity is really strongly linked to I'm X, right? Like I'm a, an officer in the, in the Navy or... Um, and so you're right. The way that you did it allowed for a gradual transition where you're able to set things up, where you're able to say... Okay, so here's how much we're making from the portfolio now. And here's ways I think I can continue to grow it and lessons that I've learned. And I think, you know, with the with the pension I get from the military and the income we generate, here's where we should be and here's where we could be. And so it's a much easier conversation. So the the second question that I uh, had from your your initial discussion is, so... For the folks out there who choose to take on property management, whether they're doing a house hacking and maybe bringing on, you know, roommates as opposed to renting out houses, um, you're in a position where you you have to basically trust someone kind of more immediate than build that trust up. What are some good ways to establish that trust, not only just with the, the tenant, but the tenant to you as well? Yeah. Um, so people will often ask me about building trust quickly uh, and trying to help things transition. And right now, trust levels are really low. Um, just generally in society, we're seeing that play out all over the place. And the reason for that is is that our vulnerability hasn't really gone down, but our uncertainty is bouncing all over the place, right? So we're seeing changes in rules and norms and values and regulations um and we're seeing sort of this vilification of other people that causes us to be suspicious of others who aren't quite aligned with us um that makes it really hard to be vulnerable to be a little more vulnerable than we already feel and so if i want to build trust with somebody i need to go first and so i need to make myself a little bit vulnerable and that involves sharing information, not not too vulnerable. It's, it's not like I go on the first date with someone and I say, hey, how do you feel about marriage? Hmm. Um, but it's, it's more a case of uh, I'm looking for a tenant who has the following characteristics. Here's why that's important to me. Um, sharing aspects of your life, sharing elements of yourself that provoke a norm of reciprocity they, they get people to respond the same way and you start to role model that for them where you say you know uh it's important to me that this works out I, i'd love to have someone here who's going to be here long term just for the stability it creates i know that i want to have properties where people are happy comfortable feel safe um and so I think longer term for these things. Um, and, and even those preferences start to reveal parts of ourselves, start to initiate a norm of reciprocity. And if, if I make myself a little bit vulnerable to you and then you just don't respond at all, that's a pretty clear signal to me that you're not interested in engaging that way. That's an, that's an interesting and, point. Um, now, 
usually you know you're doing background and credit checks which i'm i'm assuming probably helps to establish at least some trust from your perspective you know obviously the incoming tenant potentially is probably not going to do more than likely he's probably not going to do background checks so i could see where you kind of being vulnerable up front uh, might make yeah. them feel more comfortable um, you know, unfortunately, there are there are folks out there, at least in the U.S., that we kind of refer to as professional tenants, um, where basically they're looking to get into a place and take advantage of the situation. Is there is there right. some good ways to kind of feel that situation out where something may not necessarily show up on a tenant screening or a background check, although a lot of times they, they maybe have bad recommendations if you call around? But not not necessarily always. And how how are some good ways to kind of get a sense if someone's trying to take advantage of a situation since you don't really have a lot of a time to establish a rapport? Yeah, so that's a challenging one, and and unfortunately we've got bad actors on both sides of that equation, right? So yes. There's a, yeah. There's a you know I, I've had a recent experience with my landlord. I think they want me to move out, so they've started giving me a hard time about my guide dog. Hmm. Um, and I'm legally blind. And so when I rented the property, I said, you know, I've got a guide dog. And they said, oh, we're not allowed to discriminate. But now they're saying, well, you know, people clean up after the dog once a week. Maybe that's not enough. We want you to do it every day. And and so we, we see people engage in behavior that we're questioning on both sides of the equation. And so partly we interpret the world through stories. And then we search for confirming evidence of that. Um, it could be helpful to say, well, what are some of the past renting experiences of, that you've had? And, and what were some of the better ones? And what were some of the ones that were more challenging? And so initiating that sharing of stories can start to give you a sense. They'll start to drop hints about things that they found really helpful, things that they didn't. Um, and if, it, if you start hearing yourself in that narrative... This may not be a good relationship, you know, and um, I suspect that sometimes people engage in that taking advantage of the system when they've managed somehow to vilify the other person, right? When they've been able to say, well, landlords are all the same. They're all jerks. They're, you know, carrying feasting on my rotting corpse. Um, and... And so they've got this negative narrative, so they feel comfortable being jerks because they think the other person's a jerk. So we can reduce the probability of that by humanizing ourselves and them because we may also have a narrative about them that leads to this vicious cycle, right? Um, in, in my renting experiences, and I've rented for years now, um, I usually try to establish a positive relationship with the people that I'm renting from because I believe that that benefits them and me. And, you know, I, I tend to live in places for years at a time. Um, and so establishing a bit of effort in terms of creating that relationship can lead to a better outcome down the road. If, if things change, or if they start to try to take advantage of, this, of the structures that are put in place, you know, the, they're less likely to do that if they think you're a good person. Yeah, that's... Does that help? 
That's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like being able to, I mean, number one, it, you know, and this goes beyond just trust, just the ability to communicate. And, um, I, I really like the idea of storytelling and having them, you know, hopefully reciprocate in the same way and then get a kind of really get a sense of who they are as a person from that perspective. I mean, you know, that I guess communications and, and listening skills can go a long way when it comes to trust. We, yeah, and a lot of times it's including the other party in the conversation, right? So I talk to families and I talk about benevolence, right? Having your someone's best interest at heart. And I'll ask parents, I'll say, who here has their kid's best interest at heart? And all the hands go up. Well, when I flip the question and say, how many of your kids would say that? It's about a third, Corey, and, it, and it's hesitant. And so if it's not obvious in a place where it's supposed to be obvious, like how do we make it obvious in our other dealings? And so one of the things I would encourage people to do is to say, what, is, what would be a good experience for you as a tenant? What are past experiences you've had with landlords that you really appreciated? And let me tell you about some of the experiences I've had with tenants where I felt like, wow, that was just a really good relationship. Um, and so it's giving each other a sense of what good looks like. You know, we can talk about what excellence is in terms of a tenant and a landlord. We can talk about the importance of that relationship because we're interdependent now, right? I'm paying rent that's helping to subsidize you, but it's also providing me a place to live. And I need to be safe and secure in my own situation, not feeling like, oh, God, any minute the rug's going to get pulled out. And you need to be feeling like, hey, this is a reliable stream of income that I can support my family with, that I can meet my goals and objectives, that, that allows me to do the things that I need to do in life to be successful. And so there's a shared positive outcome here for us if we can find a way to make that work. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's an interesting take. So, I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I want folks out there to, to do as they kind of build their portfolio is bring on, say, property managers to kind of assist them because, A, you know, people can't necessarily know all of the ten, uh, landlord-tenant laws and, you know, it, especially if you are already working another job. There's a lot of things that it's beneficial to have people that are dealing with us on a day-to-day -day basis. But the fact right. is, is a lot of times, you know, we're not necessarily asking them like, hey, how do you approach that initial reaction or in interaction with, with potential tenants? And um, I think you bring up a good point in terms of like, what, what is the tenant looking for? Are you even asking what they're looking for in this situation? What would be a ideal situation for them? Right. Yeah. And what makes them want to preserve your property, the value of your property? What makes them, you know, comfortable uh, investing their own time and energy in, in making the place a better place for the next tenant and maintaining the value of the property that you're renting to them? You know, what's what are the things that, that stop them from going, I don't care if there's holes in the wall? I don't care if all the neighbors are pissed off. Um, you know, those are headaches that you just don't need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, right? So you don't want to be dealing with building inspectors and the police and 
you know, having issues and, and people, you don't want the neighbors to be annoyed and engaging in sabotage of your property. So you're right, your representatives, if, you, if you've got property managers, your representatives are the front line. They're engaging with, with your end users. It would be helpful to know how they treat those folks. And, you know, every property manager I've had, other than this latest one, has been great to work with. You know, they, they've come in and said, here's, here's what the client wants, here's what the renter wants. And we've been able to talk about, okay, what's reasonable? You know, what am I willing to contribute? What are they willing to contribute? Um, you know, and, and so the requests have felt reasonable. And it's felt like a, uh, a good relationship. And they've, they've said, look, my job is to manage this relationship. And so there are times when I need to go back to the, to the person who's hired me and say, look, that, that's not going to work in this situation. Or your tenant's struggling with this request and here's why. Is there a different solution we can come up with? Um, and so they, they need to understand that that's their role. Not, you know, hey, I've been given orders and you're going to do X. Um, because you can't always force compliance. That's and true. once that vicious cycle starts, right, it, it starts, we start vilifying each other and we start feeling like, what could I get away with? What do I, how do I game the rules so that I don't have, to, so I can do the minimum? Um, so we would much rather people be part of that conversation, part of that solution, a, a, a willing partner in maintaining the place that they're renting. Yeah, people people forget that this is a, a people business. Even though when you think of real estate, you're thinking of properties, you know, something a, a tangible asset. But at the same mm -hmm. time, there's there's going to be a person that occupies that place that is looking for a place, you know, a safe healthy place to live and I think sometimes people tend to forget that or that you know they're removed from the situation that you know maybe there are people that are closer to it are, are thinking that way but you know they're you know they're in syndications I mean the owners could be however many people removed from the actual tenant uh, you know on the ground right yeah and and they're looking at numbers and they don't see faces um, and you know, there are, there are times when rents need to go up and it's, it's because other expenses have increased. It's like, there's all kinds of reasons for it. Right. But what do you think the story is for the tenant when the rent goes up? Right. It, it's probably not a positive story unless you've shared with them, you know, look, everyone's struggling. We're seeing inflation. I need to raise the rents because I need to pay people more money to manage these properties. And, you know, I, I need to get a return on my investment to pay my bills, which have gone up. And that's a much more reasonable explanation than, hey, rents are going up because rents are going up. And I'm able to charge more for this because that's the market rate. Um, that doesn't play as well for someone who's <laughs> yeah. in the rental space, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, you know, it kind of depends on how open they are to the conversation. You know, a lot of times people only see, hey, how does this impact me? Even, even if you sit down with them and say, hey, 
property taxes are going up, insurance is going up, it costs me more to bring someone over to repair something. All of that stuff impacts you. And you know, you know, maybe maybe you're able to eat a little bit, uh, depending on how long you've you've owned the home, but maybe this is your first rental property and you just bought it and you know, a crazy rental uh, you know, real estate environment. You, you right. your margins may not be crazy where all of a sudden if you give them a break on the you know now you're much closer to being you know break even and you're you know it, it's no benefit to you right and you have to deal with all the the incidental things that occur right so washer dryer breaks down you've got to replace it or get it repaired you know fridge breaks down like there's there's all these incidental expenses that renters tend not to think about right because it's it's not their stuff and so they don't realize that that's part of the cost of, of maintaining these rental properties. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, like I said, I think based on what you're saying, communication is a huge, huge role to play in here. But, you know, you, you have to have trust that the other person is willing to listen when you're communicating, you know, the different, the different things that can come into play, which not necessarily everyone is in a position to listen. Well, and that's that's part of what the work I do is is focused on, is helping you do a better job of communicating how much you should be trusted, and creating a dialogue that allows us to actually talk about some of these things, rather than just leaving people's experiences up to them to interpret, right? Because because we interpret the world through stories, you and I can have exactly the same experience and dramatically different perspectives. Um, just look at what's going on in, in Congress right now, right? Hmm. Um, we're seeing dysfunction play itself out because of low trust levels. And we're seeing candidates get pro proposed and people saying, well, you voted once in a way that I didn't like, so up yours. <laughs> yeah. Right? And and we, we're not, they're not giving each other the benefit of the doubt. There's, there's no grace associated with their interpretation of one another a, an action taken five years ago is held against them we we don't make an effort to understand the context we can get better at this and like i said trust levels are some of the lowest we've ever measured people who get this right are going to have a huge competitive advantage you're going to have people that want to work for you and will stay with you even if you're not paying them the absolute top dollar and they're actually going to be invested in your business more than they would be in somebody else's. And they're going to want you to be successful. And so they're going to go above and beyond. And those are the kinds of things that drive successful organizations. So you're going to have property managers who work for you who are trying to make things work with, with, with clients, with renters. They're, they're actually going to give you honest feedback. Right? They're going to say, look, I know that this is your preference, but it's not playing well. Can we reframe it somehow? They're actually going to talk to you about those things and care about you being successful. That's what higher trust levels do for us. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point because, you know, when I was first starting out, I really established relationships with real estate agents. And, you know, they knew that I was going to come and work work with them for new properties that I could close on those properties 
if I wanted to sell a property that they had brought to me that I'd be I'd probably go to them to have them list it and if they had an off-market opportunity I was one of the people at the top of their list that they were calling you know I, yeah. I got a lot of op great properties that were off-market because I had a well-established trusted relationship with real estate agents yeah they knew you were gonna play by the rules that you were gonna act in a way that facilitated that relationship that if they invested in you you would return the favor yeah right absolutely and and, and so it has the potential to profoundly accelerate your business you know and um i guess my message to folks is you know a lot of times people think oh it's too complicated i can't do anything about it it just is what it is that's not true Right, I, I've spent 20 years helping people better understand what trust is and how it works, and most importantly, how to build it. You know, there's a lot of people talking about trust right now, but they're not talking about how to actually do something about it, how to pull those levers. And so that's what I've been focused on for the last 20 years. Yeah, now you just need to let me know how I can do that with lenders all the time. Like, uh, <laughs> sure, a lot of people will yeah. give you the benefit of the doubt, but. You could work with a bank for like 10 years and then like all of a sudden, oh, the spreadsheet's not working in your favor. Sorry about that. Well, and and again, it goes back to, do we find institutions that are willing to build trust and have a relationship with us? Or are they just numbers focused? And it's worth giving up a little bit on the margins to work with somebody who actually gives a crap about us as, as human beings. And so, you know, I, I had an institution turn on me like that. And I just said, okay, we're done, right? And and when the time came and things started going better, they started reaching out to me. And I was like, no, you had a chance to be my partner when things weren't going well. You didn't feel like it worked in your interest at that point. There's another bank that's actually stepped up when I was struggling. They have my business now. And they will no matter what happens. And so, you know, financial services is where I started. Uh, I, I, my first client was a mutual fund company. And they did a survey and found out that the primary driver of, peop of the sales decision was trust. I believe and that, so, yeah. Yeah. And so whether we're investing or whether we're borrowing, you know, we should be asking questions that are related to, how do you feel in terms of my best interest? Are you willing to invest in me? And are you willing to be there when things, when there are ups and downs? Because there's going to be ups and downs. So how are you going to behave when the spreadsheet starts to not look great? Yeah. You know, in those moments. Yeah, I mean, there's one local credit union that I had a pretty good working relationship with. And they even brought me in. They took me to, to baseball games here with the local team and then right. you know when and the thing is is like they're all about doing loans and so my loan you know as i added more properties and got loans through them all of a sudden you know i got you know like two or three million in terms of my my total loans through them and all of a sudden you know the purse strings got really tight and it was just like you know i i've been with you guys for like five years or plus you know plus never missed a payment. 
obviously yeah. you know what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to build a portfolio and all of a sudden it, think, it seems like you guys don't want to work with me anymore. And it was, I, you know, I did the same thing. I went and took my, my business elsewhere. I mean, obviously you didn't close out every single loan. That would have been crazy, but, um, right. Yeah. And, and part of the challenge we see for some of these organizations is that they're not one individual, right? And so you can run into a bad actor within an organization, someone who doesn't get it. Um, or in, in the case that you're talking about, the vulnerability started to get higher for them and they started to panic, right? Yeah. And so it's a case of how do I reduce your uncertainty? How do I make you more, more comfortable? And in your case, you, you started to take your business elsewhere, which is probably not what they wanted. Right. Yeah. I mean, so when it came time to refinance some of the loans that I had through them, you know, they were like, Hey, how can we get this refinance for you? And it was like, well, you can't because I'm going to have someone else do it. Right. Yeah. And being able to point back and say, you remember when this happened, that made me uncomfortable. It caused uncertainty for me. It meant that I had to find someone else who was more stable and more willing to do business with me, who had more faith in me. Yeah, and, it's, it's interesting because yeah. you, you know, when when a bank is hungry for business, um, they, you know, they'll come through for you. But you know, you've been doing business with this other company for, you know, like I said, five plus years, and I guess they weren't hungry anymore for your business, even though they they probably make assumptions like, oh yeah, they'll they'll stick around, but it it. In the end, it's something that you have to figure out who's going to help you along your journey. And sometimes the people right. that you've been working with for several years aren't interested in helping you do that journey anymore. Something changes for them, right? Like you, you seem to reach a certain tipping point or there was an internal change within that organization. Something happened. And a lot of times when I'm talking to people about rebuilding trust, that's the first question. What changed? Right? What was the event that precipitated this? What what caused it to feel like, yeah, not anymore? And so in those situations, I try to help people systematically understand what was the event or what was the set of behaviors? Um, and to me, it sounds like, you know, there was a shift in terms of benevolence and integrity, right? They didn't feel like they had your back anymore. And their actions weren't really lining up with the values that they'd expressed for the last five years. Yeah. It's, so they've been telling you a story, and now all of a sudden it changed. And then they, they chalk it up to risk tolerance. Right. Right. All right. So as we come here towards the tail end of our show, there's there's something I like to ask all, all of my guests, and that's where do you see yourself in one year and where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to make the world a better place. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, I've been nominated as one of the world's leading experts on trust. Within the next year, I'm hoping to have greater impact in terms of being able to speak to more people that are struggling with issues like this. Um, raising awareness. Five years from now, I expect my company to be significantly larger than it is. Um, and for us to be having an impact that's global. Um, 
that will be training facilitators, helping people understand how trust works and how to fix it. Um, because there's, we're, we're reaching places where there are some really challenging problems in the world. I mean, in the U.S., we're seeing the divide between the right and the left. Um, and it's really the extremes yep. that are battling. And the rest of us are struggling with that. You know, they're, they're not representing 70 or 80% of the population. And so I hope to be involved in conversations about how we fix that. How we change those structures. Yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that regardless of the politics of your neighbor, you have a lot more in common with them than any politician in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. I So, Corey, for you and I, a lot of times I ask leaders, would you like to be a politician? And overwhelmingly they say, I wouldn't put my family through that. No. No. Right? And so we have a bunch of people in office who are quite comfortable putting their family through that, which is a very telling sign. It means that they don't give a crap about anybody but themselves. And I don't know about you, but if I'm electing someone as a political leader, I expect them to have my interests at heart. I expect them to represent me and the things that I care about, not themselves. Yeah, maybe some of them go that way, but I, you know, power corrupts absolutely is my my feeling and yes yeah yeah thanks for the conversation today thank you for sharing with your and i uh i wish the best for you and your company it sounds like you've already made an impact on a global scale but i i do look forward to kind of follow your your company you and your company and and kind of see how you're able to expand that to other other locations yeah, and so if people want to reach out to me, they can they can look up my my website trustunlimited.com. Uh, I've got a book called Building Trust: Exceptional Leadership in an Uncertain World. Um, there's a master class that people can take. So there's lots of ways that people can actually find me and find those skills. They can reach out to me on LinkedIn or or just email Daryl at trustunlimited.com. Yeah, I mean, trust is one of those life skills. I mean, whether you, it, it's something that kind of overlaps so many different areas of, of your life from family, business, yeah. friendship. At, um, if you're not a trusting person and you don't know how to establish that trust, it's going to make things difficult for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Daryl. Um, Definitely provided a lot of insight in terms of how you can help establish these relationships and, you know, kind of get some insight in terms of from another person's perspective. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. Well, thank you again, Daryl, for being on the show. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about Daryl, check out his website, trustunlimited.com. All right. Thanks again, Daryl.